Hello, this is Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Um, this is Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson Five on Twitter. And this is Peter M Gunn. Follow me at M Gunn Peter. Um, yeah, and- we're, we're we're doing a we have a bit of an odd schedule because we yesterday we recorded the bonus episode. Uh, which gives all of our election type takes. So if you want to know what that's about, uh, check that out. Subscribe on Patreon. Um, today we're switching it up, and we're go- and we're going to be talking less about the election because both of us hate talking about it. So we've got yeah. another topic today. Yeah, we're going to be talking about um, Tupac Shakur. Um, his life bad. and his <laughs> so for any especially for uh some of you younger folks who uh Tupac Shakur was a a very famous rapper who the was greatest of very... all time yeah definitely I'd say yeah I, I I would argue the same that he's probably probably the greatest rapper who ever lived if not one of the top five um because I'm sure some people be like Rakim's the greatest, KRS One's the greatest. Um, well, I mean, I I have a very specific argument for why he's the greatest, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I just want to make like, yeah. So, um, we are on Patreon, so follow us. Uh, you know, Patreon.com/slash Real Sankara Hours. Um, we are also on Spotify now, so you can find us on Spotify. We will be on um, Apple iTunes podcast uh, very soon. So, um, yeah, we're we're around on social media. Um, and um, also, I mean, just a quick update, you know, coronavirus, the World Health Organization just announced uh, that it's a pandemic. So um, the, the best way to avoid coronavirus is to avoid large gatherings of people of more than, you know, 50 people. Um, so... Yeah, it it impacted my job. <clears throat> um, so you know, classes, uh, teaching classes, like are aren't, aren't going to be held face to face. More of it's going to be online. So uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, so when it comes to coronavirus, take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, take care of you know people around you. Um, and and yeah, I just wanted to just announce that because that that was announced just today. The WHO just announced that coronavirus is a global pandemic, <clears throat> which is something I've never witnessed in my lifetime. So the, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. So um, all right. Yeah, let's just get into it. Uh, Tupac Shakur. So um, so I guess yeah, we we can start with um. <clears throat> how we came to uh i guess how, how we first um started listening to tupac uh do, do you want to start peter like you know how sure. i guess yeah the first time you started listening to him and i guess like what what drew you to him well i mean admittedly and I, this is why we started talking about this again i mean i always knew who he was but i never sat down and engaged with the oeuvre his body of work yeah. let's say until a few months ago, I was, and I had been meaning to do this for a while, but I had taken some acid and 
I was trying to get into a like because uh, I'm weird like this. I was trying to get into like a sinister kind of dark energy vibe. So after going through a bunch of stuff, I tried listening to some Wagner. It wasn't cutting it. Um, I had on the docket uh, the Don Caluminati Seven Day Theory album because I had heard how sinister, you know, kind of weird it is. And then that sort of listening to that uh, kind of through like the whole my whole understanding of like who he was as an artist in, you know, into like relief, I guess, in the sense of I understood like what he was actually doing. And so then I like went back through all of his other albums, you know, alongside obviously like the most famous songs but you know i so that's what really got me like thinking about him a lot recently and also like um the he'd be uh at work like i guess the pandora station my coworker would play it would be like the boozy pandora station but it would be playing a lot of tupac so we'd be talking about it and like even uh one of my coworkers who grew up in Serbia talks about how he like grew up listening to Tupac and how important it was to him. So, you know, it really made me think about it, but. Hmm. Yeah. I I'd say, um, the first time I think I really got into Tupac, I was in high school, um, right around, uh, uh, my, I say like my junior year of high school, somewhere around there. I mean, I, I knew who he was, but I really started listening to him um, in high school, just, uh, you know, dealing with, um, you know, uh, being a young black male um, raised by a single mother and, and, you know, not having a father figure around. And uh, Tupac grew up similarly. So I, I felt a kind of particular sort of, kind of kinship to his music um because of that at the time so um yeah his music kind of spoke to me in that respect as i was trying to you know like every teenager sort of try to figure out who you are and where you fit in this world and um even as a teenager i was i was pretty political so a lot of his politics um drew me in and <clears throat> particularly his um social commentary about um the the black condition in america and um um the struggles of uh black urban life um i thought like a lot of those themes kind of resonated with me because there's a lot of overlap between that and growing up in growing up in, growing up in pittsburgh california and also like th there was um sort of a regional attachment because you know tupac got he wasn't born in the Bay Area, but he got a start in the Bay Area. So, um, yeah, there's a kind of like sort of regional uh, kind of gravitation I had uh, to him because of that, that Bay Area uh, affiliation. Um, so, yeah, in high school, I started listening to him. But I think, you know, um, as I got older, uh, you know, I still listen to him, but I think my perspective on him is... Uh, probably more mature than I was when I was around like seven, like 17 years old. Um, 
But I still think, you know, to this day that he's, yeah, the greatest rapper, if not one of the greatest rappers um, to live. And I think he has a very deep um, cultural impact. And especially as, <clears throat> and I'm glad we're doing this episode because, um, actually, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw this question up and then we can both discuss it uh, just off the top of my head. But, like, the the state of rap music in terms of where he's at um do you do you think peter uh because i have my own thoughts but i'm wondering what your thoughts on do you think tupac is given the amount of respect that he deserves uh given because because right now rap is the cultural global zeitgeist which um i i don't think was really the case when you and i were in high school so like now that rap is like basically this yeah, it's it's an it's an omnipresent cultural zeitgeist, right? So, um, because I because I've heard like some you know uh, some quote unquote haters of of Tupac who are into like um who the fuck was that one rapper Lil Xan? Lil Xan. Yeah. So what did yeah. he say? I don't remember what he said. Was it that he didn't let me, know Tupac or that he thought it was whack? Basically. Uh, let me look it up. But one, yeah, as I look it up, why don't you answer? Like, yeah, like, do you think Tupac is um given the proper respect he deserves as a cultural figure in rap music? I, given more well, I think that you know, for like real hip hop fans, his legacy is pretty secure. I think for maybe a lot of younger kids, um, yeah, I don't know if he's quite as well known unless they're like, unless they listen to older stuff, unless they specifically listen to 90s stuff. I also think that um, for some reason, I think it's because of just like the Brooklynification of America and the world. People like (laughs) Biggie Smalls has become more of a, uh, I guess, a cultural meme like people i feel like he gets referenced more now especially by white people than tupac does and i think there are some reasons for this um one is you know like i said new york centrism two is that biggie for some reason is easier to co-opt as like you know sort of just a cultural figure whereas like tupac had a very specific legacy and a very specific message and it's harder for like white gentrifiers to just be like i love tupac without you know mm-hmm. under you know having to go a little bit deeper so i just looked up the uh so quote so basically i think <clears throat> he was i guess lil xan was supposed to give like some sort of clout scale ranking for tupac like so and he uh he he gave Tupac a two. I think the highest score was a ten. He he gave Tupac a two and said his music was boring. So even Waka Flocka um, said that Lil Xan is banned from hip hop after he called <laughs> after Lil Xan called Tupac's music boring. But uh, I bring up Lil Xan because I do think um, even though he caught some pushback, I do think that I don't think he's alone in expressing that sentiment, at least in this current, um, not even just the, the current younger generation of listeners of, 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 uh, hip hop, but like, I think where hip hop is at as a 
cultural force. And what I'm what I what I'm really trying to get at is that like, um, I think there are things going on with the state of rap music that makes someone like Lil Xan feel comfortable for saying something like that in public. Yeah, I think there's probably two things going on. One is that because it's like when it's a problem that any sort of like pioneer type figure has in the sense that like there are so many people who have bitten his style that it and it's been so and it's so omnipresent that you almost don't understand what it was like before him. So when you hear when perhaps someone like Lil Xan hears Tupac, then they you know, they don't understand like how significant it was at the time. I think the other thing is also he probably thinks equi- equates Tupac with just like I guess the positive stuff and hasn't probably never listened to like the actual Thug Life album, which is I don't know how you could call that boring. <laughs> um I mean right. yeah. really like I don't think there's anyone who's been able to sort of put you in the driver's seat and sort of explain like this specific mentality and make you feel like you're there better than Tupac. So I think he probably just thinks that Tupac is all like changes and not, yeah, like the, the actual Thug Life album, which Interscope did like basically was not going to release. I think they didn't want to release it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, Thug Life, um, I mean, you know, uh, like Tupac's music got me through some, you know, rough times. And I, I, I consider Thug Life to be one of those albums that was, you know, helpful for me at least. But um, yeah, I think like where um, rap is at right now, um, I think there is, I think there is kind of a different mentality um, in the eighties and the nineties when it came to rap. And then I think there is a shift that happened somewhere around, like I say the mid two thousands to the late two thousands to the 2010s. And I think with eighties and nineties rap, um, even though there are, were a lot of rap songs that, you know, did well commercially, um, that wasn't the primary motivation of a lot of rappers. Um, like they weren't purely motivated to get, um, not even just mainstream, but like to, 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 to be pop artists. Right. So I think right now where we're at with rap is I think there's a big blurring of lines between what rap music and pop music is. Whereas in the eighties and nineties, pop music was usually like Michael Jackson, Madonna, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. That was the, the pop world. Whereas today, pop music and rap music are, are kind of blurred. It's like Bruno Mars and then Cardi B. And then, yeah. you know, th- there's this, and even pop songs these days almost sound like rap songs. Um, so that's where rap is right now. Whereas <clears throat> in the eighties and nineties, rap was still its own thing. And it was, it still had, I think, deeper roots in black America. And so I think like people who look at rap in the latter way that it's his own thing it's rooted in black american aesthetics story struggle um 
I, you know, I think people people who are rooted in, in looking at rap in that way view Tupac differently versus um, I don't want to just pick on, you know, younger listeners. But I do think, yeah, there is a generational divide, because if if your primary reference with rap music is people like Kanye West, Drake, and, and, and if that's who you grew up with as like the standard bearers in rap music, then someone like Tupac Shakur is going to seem, quote unquote, boring yeah and so that's what i mean that yeah that's why i mean that like something's happening with the state of rap music that makes it makes someone like lil xan feel comfortable for saying that tupac's music is boring because if you think rap music and pop music are basically blurred yeah because tupac's music is not pop music yeah he, so, like there's nothing um though I mean, let's be clear, like it was a capitalist enterprise. He was very right. He was very explicit about that, especially in the latter parts of his career. And gangster rap was always like existed to sell records. But there was. Right. Yeah. But in the 90s, I mean, there was an anxiety about, quote unquote, turning pop. And it was that even if like your only goal was making money, you were making money representing a specific music. And like, like, yeah, there were pop rappers like MC Hammer. But the whole point was that you wanted to be famous and set and go quadruple platinum or whatever, like representing, I mean, what you understood to be realness. And so, yeah, that distinction and that anxiety about selling out like doesn't exist now. So it's really just entirely about money. And so that's why you have someone like Drake, I guess. You know, and Jay-Z really was like the pinnacle of the idea that like it doesn't, you know, the more money I make, the less you can criticize me artistically. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear, like when I say pop, I'm, I'm saying pop in the sense of like there's a set um, musical kind of framework, formula and aesthetics that make something sound, quote unquote, pop as a sound. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, there was all, I mean, Tupac Shakur, a lot of those rappers from the nineties, you know, they wanted to make money, but I think, um, uh, you know, uh, even at that time, like they weren't really trying to make pop records in the sense of sounding pop. Cause yeah, yeah. MC Hammer, his records sounded pop, whereas Nas records, Tupac records, Bone Thugs and Harmony records, they sold well, they made money, a lot of money. But the sound was not a pop sound because yeah. at the time, particularly in the 90s, pop music was like, you know, like that was like, uh, um, especially the late 90s, it was like Instinct, Backstreet Boys, although they came out after Tupac and Biggie yeah. died. But um, yeah, the, the pop sound of the 90s was early 90s would have been, yeah, Michael Jackson, like Michael Jackson sound new would have kid, been pop new music. New Kids on the Block new kids on the block yeah so that was the pop yeah that was the pop sound so um because i i do remember even growing up even um i'll I'll even set this up for context because i remember you know when bet they had a show called rap city um and there is there is 106 in park there's rap city and then there's mtv's trl mtv's trl was largely the stuff you listen to for like what's on the top 40 kind of billboard music. The Basically, if you wanted to know what pop music was at the time, particularly in the late 90s and the mm-hmm. 2000s, 
TR, TRL was your plug. These kids don't even know about TRL. They like have yeah, no total, idea what it is. So, so Total Request Live, it was a show uh, on MTV, Total Request Live, and people would request their favorite music videos. But that show was basically a, a very good window to see like, okay, this is these are the pop records. This is the top 40 stuff that's going on at the time. Uh, 106 and Park was on BET, Black Black Entertainment Television. That was like a black version of TRL. And it was mostly what's the latest in hip-hop and R&B music. Rap City was basically for like, if you want the real shit, like the real, real rap music, Rap Rap City was your go-to. And I say that because the first time I heard about the Neptunes and Pharrell before Pharrell became Pharrell was Rap City. And this is when the Neptunes were kind of like, you had to be like a real head to know who the Neptunes were. And you they were only, my first exposure to the Neptunes was uh, Rap City. Um, I, I'm so, I, I feel like I'm getting sidetracked. But yeah. my point is that like, I, I, I think that there, that there is a, um, when we're thinking about Tupac's legacy and his relevance to today, um, I think, yeah, he, he, we're, we're looking at rap music in a very, very different sort of uh, time period and cultural period versus um, when it when it used to be. Yes. Um, so maybe let's start. Maybe let's go through, I guess, his life and career, because it was actually a very short career. I mean, he was only yeah. it was only five years that he was like releasing music. But um yeah, he w- he was born in New York City, I think. Grew up in Baltimore, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. To um, I, his mother fam- famously was a Black Panther, um, Afeni-, Afeni Shakur, and Asada yeah. Shakur was actually his godmother. That's true. Mm-hmm. So he was very yeah. much he very much was steeped in the uh, in this Black nationalist militant tradition. Um, mm-hmm. and he makes references to this in his, in some of his interviews. And that's where I, that's obviously where he got a lot of his political consciousness. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off of that. So, yeah. So his mother was a Fanny Shakur, um, who passed away a couple years ago and she was a member of the black Panther party. Um, his dad, he didn't know his father. Um, and Afeni Shakur was actually pregnant with Tupac Shakur when she was in prison, because during that time um, of the Black Panther of the Black Panther Party, there was a lot of real government um, suppression of Black militant groups like the Panthers, and so um, Afeni Shakur was pregnant with um, Tupac when uh, um, she was in jail. So, you know he he's basically a child and a product of um, the Black Panther Party and the legacy of, of Black radicalism in America. And th- that's where he got his, yeah, as Peter said, that's where he got his consciousness from. That's where he learned a lot about history, politics. Um, also, you know, yeah, he was born in New York City, but he also, he moved to Baltimore and um, he went to an art school where he became friends with Jada Pinkett Smith. And his friendship with Jada Pinkett Smith lasted until he died. So um, 
yeah, Jada Pinkett Smith, she's married to, you know, a famous, very famous actress, married to Will Smith. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith has this uh, uh, Facebook um, ch- uh, channel or segment called uh, Red Table Talks. So, um, yeah, so Jada Pinkett and Tupac Shakur were um, friends until he died. I'll, I'll mention, I'll, I'll um, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention his Bay Area connection. So in 1988, his family moved from Baltimore to Marin City. So for those of you who don't know, Marin City is basically an unincorporated, uh, basically an unincorporated community in Marin County. Marin County is a very, very wealthy, mostly white county in the Bay Area. So Marin County is basically, if, if you're familiar with San Francisco, and you go right across the Golden Gate Bridge, you're in Marin County. Um, so Marin County is very, very affluent, very white. Marin City is the complete opposite. Very poor and mostly and mostly black. And it's basically a poor black neighborhood in the middle of immense wealth and a lot of white people. And so he, he, yeah, he grew up, he lived his life mostly poor. So that also had a huge impact on his consciousness and even his his music so a lot of the themes about black urban life you see in his music you you can trace it to his experience living in marin city california in in marin county because um there were interviews with uh some a lot of his um uh rap partners like uh mo prem shakur and his friends and and uh cousins who basically said that you know living in marin city was sort of like the experience they felt was that the rich white people were uh, teasing them because yeah. you're basically living in what was what was like a slum, a ghetto, and you're surrounded by basically million dollar homes. Um, so I think that's also important to uh, consider when it comes to Tupac's life and um, how it how it shaped him. Yeah, I w- yeah I will say that um, that kind of experience, especially is what kind of fuels a lot of revolutionary spirit is the is seeing basically mm-hmm. both sides of how people live, you know, how the um how the bourgeoisie live and then also, you know, knowing the experience of poverty and seeing them right next to each other. I mean, I also forgot that yeah, he was he actually like joined when he was in Baltimore in high school, he joined the Young Communist League. Like he was really out there in terms early on in terms of his uh, in terms of politics. I mean, he was going to join. They offered him the chairmanship of the new African Black Panther Party. um, And he basically turned it down to have a music career. Right. You know that? I think so. Yeah, I I'm not sure I have to look into that, but I mean. Um, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely true that, yeah, he, he was, a affiliated with, uh, the young communist league when he was in Baltimore. And, um, he also said there is a woman named Layla Steinberg, um, uh, who's, she's a poet and a writer in the Bay area. And he attended poetry classes, um, taught by Layla Steinberg in 1989. And that's how he kind of she was the one who she, she really kind of, um, I guess you could say discovered him, but she really encouraged him to, um, keep up with his poetry. And then he, um, 
you know, I think she had organized a concert with Tupac Shakur and then um, he met a manager who set him up uh, to be a roadie and a backup dancer for the group Digital Underground in 1990. So Digital Underground is a Bay Area alternative uh, hip hop group. They're from Oakland. Um, and the leader is a guy named Shock G. Uh, and he has he, he sometimes goes by the character named uh, Humpty Hump. But um, anyway, so Tupac Shakur was a roadie and backup dancer for Digital Underground. And then um, the song, I think it was same song that uh, Tupac Shakur, he uh, did a verse on it. And that's when he first came on uh, the public spotlight. I believe the song was called Same Song. Yeah, Same Song. He uh, Tupac did a verse on it. And that's when he, uh, that's basically was Tupac's real music debut. Yeah. And it was after that. Yeah. And then in 1991, he released his debut solo album, which was Tupacalypse Now. And that's when you really begin to see um, him talk about, like, that was really, I think, you really get a sense of his politics and his commentary coming through in his music. So Tupacalypse Now, I think, is a really good album to see, like, where Tupac was beginning as an artist. And yeah. he, he had songs like, Brenda's got a baby. Um, so all the social injustices um, that he was witnessing in places like Marin City, but also throughout the Bay Area and throughout the country. Um, and particularly, and I think this is where actually, so uh, Peter, you, you can probably talk about like, you know, the context of the 90s. Cause yeah, so this is 1991 yeah. when he released Tupacalypse Now. So why, why don't you talk about like the, you know, the nineties and um like the the sort of war on drugs and yeah. all that. Yeah, it's interesting. Tupacalypse now. I mean he didn't write like that album did moderately well. He wasn't a huge star in the in the first mm-hmm. two albums. Um and I, it's also very I also find it interesting because if you look at listen to it now, it sounds very public enemy esque. Like there's a lot of bomb squad type production. Um, but yeah, what Adam's referring to and the thing that sort of crystallized to me is basically right in the nineties, you know, you have the war on drugs and mass incarceration sort of at full speed. And a lot of the music that a lot of, uh, what was understood to be crap at the time, though, I think now, I don't think people really use that term, um, was reflective of that um a lot i'm trying to remember what's on his first album but yeah there's a lot of i think there's like one song where he specifically talks about getting into a shootout with the police um and there's yeah there's another sorry yeah there's and then so yeah so that one then strictly for my niggas comes out the next mm-hmm. uh, in 93 i think right yeah it's 93 yeah and also uh for tupacalypse now i think this is uh <clears throat> to really kind of hammer peter's home P- peter's point home is um then vice president dan quails so this is during george hw bush's presidency so the father of george w bush this is his presidency um there even though the album didn't perform 
you know, it performed moderately well. It was certified gold. Uh, so it's, it was a gold record. It wasn't platinum yet. But Dan Quayle um, criticized mm-hmm. the album um, beca- because the there was um, apparently, yeah, someone someone murdered a uh, Texas state trooper. And then I think Dan Quayle is basically trying to say that, you know, the murder was influenced by Tupac's lyrics. So, um, so they, at the time, you know, there was definitely this feeling of um, black people, particularly black men, are a threat to public safety and public order. And that's how you get, you know, you got stuff like the 1994 crime bill, Hillary Clinton calling, you know, basically the, the super predator comment. So there is a very, in the 90s, a very strong fear within white America about black people and crime and drugs. Yeah. Um, and hip hop and hip hop became cultural public enemy. Number one, because a lot of politicians were basically saying that rap music, particularly hardcore rap, gangster rap was influenced. It was caught. Yeah. It was caught, which if you, if you think about it now, it's completely absurd, but at the time people really believed this Yeah, and not just white people, a lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, respectable black people believed that it was the music itself that was motivate that was the cause of these conditions in that period of time which you know is it's crazy but because they were speaking to a sub- subjectivity and a reality that had been ignored for so long i can understand and mm-hmm. you know on some level you can argue there's a glorification or something but I mean, I I can I go back and forth on that because there's definitely like they've definitely played up played things up and then claimed it was real life and some of that was a ploy to sell records. But there, yeah. you know, it it they didn't construct it out of whole cloth. I mean, it was a reflection of a reality they at least grew up in, if not like was were directly participating in. I want to I want to bring up uh, a uh, there's a comment that Billie Eilish said about rap music that um, she got a lot of pushback on, but I think it, it the argument she's saying basically um, rehashes uh, some some of these. Hold on, I'm trying I'm trying to find. Um, basically, she said. Um, that rap music is full of a lot of posturing. Um, and let me let me find the quote. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here, here it is. Okay, yeah. So she was, it was an interview with uh, Vogue. Um, and she said basically that much of rap music today, um, rappers are lying. She said, there are tons of songs where people are just lying. There's a lot of that in rap right now from people that I know who rap. It's like, I got my AK-47 ak-47 and i'm fucking and i'm like what you don't have a gun and my bitches and i'm like which bitches that's posturing and that's not what i'm doing and th- there's a lot of pushback like, like my yeah. basic response is that like in any kind of music well, music's not a documentary yeah. all, right so all, all listening- art all oh. art is lying that's like what makes it art it's not literally happening people are creating a reality that is immersive that makes you think that it's happening it's not, but it's not real. That's the whole point. 
Right. Yeah. And also, like, you know, as we're talking about Tupac Shakur and his upbringing, you know, his songs were not documentaries per se, but they did reflect something real. There was it was based in some very uh, concrete reality that he was exposed to, that his peers were exposed to. And a lot of people within black America were exposed to, particularly in inner city black urban life. Um, themes like um, violence, crime, um, teenage pregnancy, police violence, rampant police violence, um, uh, having to sell drugs in order to escape poverty. Th- those realities are real. Yeah. Like That's not made up. Um, there are journalists who document the reality of that stuff, but as a rapper, Tupac and people like him were basically providing an sort of an artistic portrayal of that real life. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, it's, it's, it's make believe, but it's based on but, something real versus you could argue with Billie Eilish's music. Uh, look, like, I mean, I don't, I don't, she's I don't, lying as I don't listen to Billie Eilish, so I can't speak on that. But what I will say is that Tupac, especially one of the reasons that like I come back to him is that he more than anyone was able to straddle that line perfectly, wherein like some people had to sort of rest on an authenticity claim. Like I really did the shit I was talking about. Um, Tupac was able to basically say like this. I This is a mentality that I sometimes have because of where I grew up. So when he talks about, you know, bust on motherfuckers with a passion, better talk because I ain't looking when I'm blasting. He's not literally talking. We both know that he doesn't literally do that. But, you know, he like all the pain and and, you know, the scars of a violent society that are on him makes him think about wanting to do it. And he's expressing those feelings. And that's what I and that's the. uh that 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 subtlety is something that gets overlooked because people don't believe that like hip hop is actually art be you know and in many ways because of racism it's kind of like how duke ellington wouldn't put music stands in front of his uh band when they were performing because white people did he didn't want white people these white white these, the white audiences wouldn't believe that those black musicians could read music so it's the same kind of thing, especially when they use lyrics like in literal trials or it's like, oh, no, he said I killed that guy or whatever. And like as evidence, but, you know, they can't like they can't just admit that, like, this is an art. And, you know, like any art, sometimes it's a product of, you know, art imitates life. Life imitates art. It's a dialectic. Um but for some reason, black hip hop artists aren't given that uh, credit. Yeah, I mean, you know, when Johnny Cash said, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. I don't think many people believe it. Like he he meant that literally. It was a song. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's the same with rap music. Right. And this actually ties into um, this is a good segue into my main overall i guess thesis and feelings and about tupac and who he is as as a cultural figure and i see tupac as basically a blues artist 
he's a rapper, obviously. He's rapping. That's his art form. Is it was rapping, right? But if you look at his his the themes he talk about, his subject matter, and also the kind of very raw emotion he had in his lyrics, um, there's something very blues about it. That's very similar to I think you know, particularly the Mississippi Delta blues and the the themes that were portrayed in Delta blues music mm. um, because Delta blues, you know, going back to like, you know, lead belly and, 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 uh, and those guys, you know, blues music, you know, aesthetically, you know, you can even trace blues music's roots to um, West African folk music in terms of the scales and stuff like that. So like, you know, there's an actual set of musical principles at play that make it the blues in the same way that like, okay, you know, there is a black, musical aesthetic and principles operating that make something rap music but the you know putting putting the 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 aesthetics and the musical principles aside in terms of the stories that are conveyed i think there's a lot of similarities between the the life of black people in the mississippi delta in the deep south particularly during the uh toward the end of slavery and immediately after slavery and that period of Jim Crow, the themes depicted by blues musicians at the time are not that different than the themes depicted by rappers like Tupac when it came to black life in the inner cities in the 1980s and the 1990s. There's a lot of overlap when it comes to violence, uh, crime, um, poverty, and having to survive amidst deep poverty and deep institutional violence um, being placed on you and your community. Um, And also a very raw look at black suffering in those conditions and and portrayed in such a way that I think, you know, can be pretty unsettling to people who who aren't used to hearing it. And I think that's often, yeah. and And that's like, you know, when we think about Tupac's music, I think sometimes some of the reaction to his music stems from people who probably aren't used to that kind of uncensored, unfiltered, raw emotion about, you know, depicting and having to deal with real um, institutionalized violence and the suffering that comes as a result of it. So in that respect, you know, even when I first listened to Tupac, I always felt like there's something about it that felt very blues and having listened to more blues music as I got older and listening to Tupac's music now with fresh eyes, with more mature eyes, I think there's a lot, a lot of parallels you can make between Mm. the black blues music and Tupac's music. So my, my main sort of takeaway in terms of how I see Tupac is that he's basically, even though he's a rapper, I think, um, there's a, a lot of his music that still stands in that black American blues tradition in terms of the themes that are talked about. And, and even if you look at some of the lyrics by blues musicians, you know, they're not no. pretty. And, and even lead belly, like spent time in prison, you know, lead belly spent like he, he was getting fights with people getting stabbed by people, stabbing other people. He spent time in prison, but lead belly still regarded as one of the greatest blues musicians who ever lived. And very influential, and there'd there'd also be no uh, like a lot of those British rock bands. They wouldn't exist without yeah. someone like Lead Belly. 
you know? So he set a standard in terms of blues music and rock music. That's important. I think you can say yeah. the same. With uh, speaking of prison, I suppose not a great transition, but we should probably. <laughs> um, so after his second album comes out, does moderately well. This is when he gets arrested. It's kind of, I won't say funny, but it is interesting that when he gets arrested in New York for sexual assault charges, that's kind of when he actually becomes really famous. Like he like he becomes more of a national figure because of this trial. Um, and uh, do you, you know, do you want to or I'll just say I'll just go through, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, he gets arrested um, in New York. He eventually they plead him down to like it's something like felony sexual battery or something, which is which is what he gets convicted yeah. of. Mm-hmm. It's like forcibly groping is I think is officially the charge they yeah. he gets pled down to. And I don't he gets. Yeah, he gets yeah, sentenced like four it. years and then gets bailed out. Um, which I'm still a little bit confused about how he got bailed out, but I think he got sentenced to time served because he was in jail basically so, like while he was on, on yeah. trial, right? Yeah, so Tupac had a number of legal troubles before the sexual assault conviction. I mean, he, uh, you know, he, even though like his music was, you know, arguably very eloquent in terms of discussing social issues that impacted black people like as a human being he was just you know he was a loose cannon basically he, he was getting he a fight he had a lot of legal trouble free spirit i guess he yeah yeah um so i'll go through some of his uh, legal issues before the sexual assault conviction um uh so he actually did get beat up by opd um, for jaywalking, Oakland Police Department, and he he settled a suit with them. Um, then there was a party in Marin City. It was like a festival, and then um, I guess there was a fight bro- that broke out, and um, someone shot a uh, six year old boy uh, and killing him. Um, he uh, I think he was he was accused of attempting to hit a rapper, beat up a rapper with a baseball bat. Um, well, I thought that was uh, he, on the oh, set also, of uh, he, Poetic Justice or something. He I went, think he so, after, yeah. Um, yeah. And then in early 94. Hughes, I think. Or, or Juice. Oh, this, that, that was... Yeah, this... So, the Hughes one was in yeah. 94, early 94. Yeah, he was found guilty of basically beating up the co-director Menace of Society. Menace to Society. And he served 15 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So Tupac had a number of legal troubles. Um, and then, yeah, in 93, November 93, so basically um, there is a woman named Ayana Jackson. Um, and actually in the show notes, she did an interview with uh, DJ Vlad two years ago, um, basically giving her side of the story. I'm going to put that in the show notes. It's a one-hour interview. Um, and basically they had, prior, you know, according to both of them, they had prior sexual encounters and then um, I guess it was, uh, yeah, so it was in November 1993, Tupac Shakur and basically other people who were in his entourage, they were charged with uh, sexually assaulting her. 
Um, Tupac Shakur denied. Well, he he claimed that he was in a separate room from when from where the assault took place. Like I guess the assault took place in one room of the hotel room, and then he was in another room taking a nap, and that it was his entourage who assaulted her. And he he claimed before he died that he was guilty of not being a smarter man and not looking after her. But Ayanna Jackson, what she said is that he was in the room and he was, uh, he did play a role in sexually assaulting her. Um, and so, yeah, so he, uh, he was charged with, uh, yeah, it was a, I think sexual battery or something like that. Um, and so that's what he was charged with. Um, and yeah, that was a very high profile case. Um, and then he was, you know, and I, I really want to, particularly in the in the light of, you know, we're both two heterosexual guys talking about this, talking about this kind of issue. And, you know, I, I, I do take, you know, um, listening to victims seriously. So, you know, because of that, I, I do encourage our listeners to listen to what Ayanna Jackson said in that interview with DJ Vlad on her own terms, because what she also said was um, before Tupac died, he called her up and apologized to her and she, they both made amends. Um, contrast that with like the numerous other cases of sexual assault and rape um, throughout the country. It's very, very rare you see, you know, the, the offender, trying to make amends with with the victim so Tupac yeah. did do that um and she was very clear about that and she was also very clear that she wasn't trying to undermine his legacy but she her main point is that she wanted to get her side of the story out because there is a film about Tupac Shakur that came out and she felt that she was she wasn't depicted accurately so I would encourage people to listen to her side of the story uncensored unfiltered um, because I think, you know, when we talk about, uh, sexual assault and rape, I, I think it's important to listen to victim stories unfiltered, uncensored, and, and, uh, yeah. people can make up their own mind. So that, that interview is going to be in the yeah. show. So and I guess the it. point I want to make about that trial are a couple of points. One, yeah, he, Tupac, you know, he had this reputation of being very pro black woman because of you know a number of his songs and he he was you know if in interviews at the time he talks about like being very concerned about how such a charge you know would what it would do to his reputation and such and also like it was the 90s which sounds like a weird thing to say but you know it was 25 years ago in the sense that you know that behavior i guess was seen as relatively commonplace and certainly like I remember watching a documentary about uh it was about like heavy metal people and Gene Simmons basically tells like the same story um you know of of something similar happening but like he never got arrested for it I'm not and it's not a uh not like trying to complain or anything I'm not excusing any behavior but what I am saying is that, um, you know, people like the the police and the law, like the for, the agents of the law were on the lookout for like anything that could possibly that they could possibly get him on. And so 
you know, they made sure so they made sure that, you know, he was prosecuted as, to the fullest extent, I suppose. And I understand why a lot of people felt like he was being persecuted and why, you know, for that trial, for that case, I understand why, you know, people sincerely believe that. And that because it was that case that sort of, you know, made him like a, that turned him into an icon, basically, Be, you know, specifically because of the way, you know, he conducted a lot of interviews and he, you know, is always very articulate and good in interviews. And somebody in an interview was talking about how, like, we did the Million Man March that year, and yet all these kids cared about was Tupac. They didn't even care about that. Because um, then, you know, yeah, basically mm -hmm. after... So, yeah, he records Me Against the World um, basically while that trial is going on. It comes out when he's in prison. And I think that's the first time he, like, goes platinum. He gets out, um, has to, is signed to death row, you know, and then immediately like yeah. goes to work making all eyes on me. So, yeah, so um, uh, I want to make sure we cover this as well. But on November 30th, 1994, this is before oh, the yeah. verdict of oh, yes, right. sexual assault trial. He, he, yeah, he was robbed. Tupac Shakur was robbed and shot five times in quad recording studios in Manhattan. And Tupac Shakur believed it was a setup um, because he took his jewelry but left his Rolex watch. Um, and so, yeah, he was shot five times and he was in the courthouse in a wheelchair, you know, recovering from uh, bullet yeah, wounds. Yeah, he checked himself out and of the hospital. So, yeah, in, in a 1995 interview with Vibe magazine, um, Tupac Shakur, he accused um, Sean P. Did currently P. Diddy. He was known as Puff Daddy at the time. Um, Jimmy Henchman, and and he also accused Notorious B.I.G. He accused Biggie, who before that Tupac Shakur and Biggie were friends, but he accused Biggie and P. Diddy of or um, of or at least knowing about it um, and not. I think it, I've seen in later interviews that basically it was sort of like the the posse, the entourage around Biggie kind of did it. And um, yeah, there's another DJ. I think it's the interview with Treach from Naughty by Nature, which is an amazing interview. You should check that out. Yeah. Um, basically, they talk yeah. about, he talks about yeah. how like Biggie couldn't, he knew that it happened and didn't do anything to stop it. And that was sort of the start of the East Coast, West Coast beef, as it were. Um, which is sort of right a whole other thing. I don't know if we want to get to his murder now, or do we want to like? Uh, I was thinking maybe we kind of do that as a mini bonus. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and and also just to clear up, he was you know he was bailed out by Suge Knight of Death Row Records um, for one point four million dollars. Oh, that's was, a he lot. Was bailed out by Suge Knight, and yeah, that. Yeah, so that's when, you know, right after he was released from uh, prison, he, uh, um, Tupac Shakur um, recorded, uh, yeah, All Eyes on Me, which is a double, yeah. that was a double disc record. So before the days of streaming and all that, we had these things called CDs. 
Um, and, and CDs would have like up to an hour's minutes. worth of music. So he recorded basically, yeah, two hours. So he recorded yeah. basically a, a two disc. Yeah, album. and that went diamond. Yeah, and it was album. very clear that he was like, um, I believe that he was signed to a three album deal with Death Row, and it was also pretty clear that he was trying to get. He was trying to fulfill his obligations as quickly as possible because I don't know if it was that he wanted to get out of the game or, you know, basically he wanted to move on and do other things or at least have more independence. But yeah, he basically churned out All Eyes on Me, which I think ended up going diamond, like 10 times platinum. And then, you know, immediate Mm -hmm. sort of not far after that, he makes uh he records as machiavelli um the don culminati theory which mm-hmm. you know is a it's a very interesting album i would highly recommend anyone listen to it um i i don't know if it's my fate i think me against the world is probably my favorite of his albums but don culminati is like yeah, is really like a historical document. I mean, he captures so many things that were going on at that time, you know, with death row and, you know, going mm-hmm. on in the city of Los Angeles. I th- And I, I think that was probably like his most complete work. Like it really is like kind of a concept album, which a lot of rap albums are yeah. not. And he does like like from a production standpoint, it's the most interesting. There's this story about how basic the de- like the death row records in its heyday were completely ridiculous i think partially because suge knight didn't know anything about music so he he like hired he like yeah. basically rented out like capital studios which is like a major recording studio in la um he like rented it out for a few months and like flew in a bunch of um like studio musicians they're like smooth jazz artists and you know there was this room called the whack room which like i guess a lot of the sort of younger people were put in while they were like making stuff because you know while tupac was there there's also snoop dogg and corrupt and daz and yeah i mean there's the Mm -hmm. whole stable and so um you know at some point tupac's trying to like you know, make this last album, you know, basically to get out of this deal. And he like, uh, basically, yeah, calls the whack room in and like teach it. And from that, he's able from them, he's able to like put together, he records an album in three days. Um, It's called Yeah, he records in three days. Mm -hmm. It takes four days to mix it. And that's the seven day theory. Um, And they yeah yeah and yeah and that's that that like i mean recording it in three an that's entire a punk album in thing. three days and mixing that's, it that's forth. some punk rock shit. yeah that's you know and and that shows how like his his work ethic was um and you know when it comes to his murder i think uh i'll we can just touch upon it briefly but i think like you know there's a lot of um there's so much when it comes to the murder investigation, I think, yeah, is worthy of like a Yeah, because we're episode. at almost um, an hour, but, so. You know. Yeah. 
so I'll 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 just kind of briefly touch upon his his murder. But um, so um, on September seventh, nineteen ninety six. So Tupac Shakur was in Las Vegas, um, celebrating um his business partner's birthday, and there was a uh, Bruce Seldon versus Mike Tyson fight. Um, and Tupac Shakur was a, was with Suge Knight at the MGM Grand. Um, and so there was, there was apparently, so Suge Knight had real gang affiliations. And so, um, I guess one of Suge Knight's associates spotted a guy named Orlando, Al, uh, Orlando Anderson, who was a, a Crips me- gang member from Compton. Um, and I guess, uh, Anderson and a group of Crips had robbed a member of, uh, Death Row's entourage. And so, um, when Tupac Shakur heard about that, him and a, him and um, Suge Knight's entourage basically got in a fight and beat up uh, Orlando Anderson, and the fight was captured on hotel video surveillance. So in retaliation, Tupac, you know, Tupac Shakur, yeah. So Tupac Shakur gets in a car with Suge Knight, and apparently, um, you know, they. Suge Knight and Tupac pull up to a red light in a car and then another car pulls up to them. Um, they pull out guns and just start opening fire on the car. And the car's riddled with bullets. Tupac is shot uh, multiple times. Suge Knight was grazed in the head, but Tupac Shakur basically took most of the most of the damage, um, including a bullet into his right lung. So... Um, yeah, so so Tupac was shot twice in the chest, once in the arm, once in the thigh. Um, so, yeah, that's when it Tupac was, uh, was September, shot. Um, September nineteen. And keep in mind, this was the. Yeah, and so he went to an intensive care unit, um, and he died on the mor- uh, the afternoon of September thirteenth, nineteen eighty six. He was he was pronounced dead at four o three p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, so, yeah, so Tupac Shakur's body was cremated the next day. Um, and there's a lot of conspiracy theory when it comes to the murder of Tupac that I think, you know, we'll talk about. But, um, yeah, so I think what we can do to wrap up, uh, I think, P- yeah, Peter, didn't you say that, yeah. you know, you have a reason why you consider yes. Tupac to yes. be the greatest? So, so you, you know, LSD clarifies a lot of things. And what I realized, um, like the reason, the reason I argue that he is, is because he's really, you almost, you know, you can, there are other rappers who had better bars or perhaps better flows, I think, you know, are technically or are more skilled technically, um, or perhaps even like had better, had more hit records, though Tupac certainly had plenty. Um, what the, but Tupac is like in a class by himself like he's really like a like a culture like a you know cultural icon in american history i mean i see him on the level of like mark twain or james dean or something like that like he wasn't like like he really you know embodied you know not just like because this whole thing wasn't just um it wasn't just like, oh, a reflection of, you know, urban poverty, but it was a reflection of a life lived unapologetically in urban poverty, 
you know, from that background. And that was the whole thing about Thug Life. And this was yeah. the whole thing. And, you know, people try to say that it killed him. Um, you know, we'll get into that later. But the point is that, like, that was what made him made such a flashpoint around him and you know his ability to communicate feeling and to communicate that in you know interiority is why is you know he does it in a way few few rappers have ever you know come close to doing and he, i think he does it better and like his knowledge of the hip-hop of the rap game i mean he was a pure artist like this is the whole thing. And, you know, when trying to figure out how could he make Brenda's Got a Baby and Hit Him Up, right? Or many of his problematic songs, you have to understand that, like, he was playing role. He was playing specific roles. And it didn't, it didn't occur to him that he was, like, contradicting himself because he was just making music. He was just making records. Um, and it was... You know, he he says, like, I never had a record until I had a record like he like his legal troubles followed him as he became more of a public figure precisely because he represented, you know, this specific mentality, this spirit um, that that, you know, was not that, you know, was very controversial and you know, sort of the 90s were still like a pretty conservative society and people reacted to it very strongly. And what's also important is that like he got that spirit from his politics, which were explicitly communist. I mean, like the heritage he comes from is, a you know, communist, like the Black Panthers were Marxist-Leninist. Um, the new African Black Panther Party is, you know, of follows those principles as well like he was talking about you know basically black love as a form of creating you know of self-determination and you know he was operating in like that new africa new africa being like the idea of a separate black homeland in what is now the united states south um you know he was there was a way in which he was trying to get like the project of Thug Life and a lot of his music was trying to get from the sort of self-hatred wrought upon, um, you know, brought upon by like decades of white supremacy and such to like this revolutionary consciousness. Of course, he also had to play the game, the, mu the music industry game, and he did that very well. And I think that's what confused a lot of people because they'll be like, oh, he represented the contradictions. But I think that I think like at his core, like this was his message. And, you know, he all, it's just like he had contracts to fulfill. And like there is a mark, there's a market for a specific type of music. This is why I highly recommend Don Caluminati, because I think it's the it. It's the work that ties all those disparate threads together. And you can see sort of how, you know, yeah. what his actual thesis is. I agree. And I think, yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that, that I think, you know, the reason why I wanted to kind of bring up like, you know, where rap is now. And cause I, I hear like a lot of, 
rap commentary. And I think rap at this point is sort of, I think at an even more, well, I don't want to say identity crisis, but I think it's like, I think rap music, what it should have, it needs to kind of figure out is, you know, what, what it is as an art form and, and also preserve it. Because I think there's a lot of confusion about what rap is, what the culture is. Um, I think though, like, you know, whenever I hear people say like, do it for the culture, the culture, it's like, mm-hmm. well, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Like what, which culture are you talking about? Cause to me, when I think of rap music, it's just, it's just an another offshoot of black culture in the same way that blues, jazz, funk, gospel, yeah. R&B are, are different. They're different facets of black culture, but they're not removed from black culture. So um, th- that's why I, I wanted to talk about that, because I think um, Tupac is a, yeah, in terms of American culture, like culture produced within the confines of the United States borders. Tupac is a very, very important cultural figure. No, I mean globally. Not, not even. Yeah, he's an important global figure. I was, yeah, because I, I know Palest, I know Palestinians who yeah. connect with Tupac's yeah. themes and his stories. So he's a very important global cultural figure, but he still has yeah. roots in Black America. Like those are that's he he is a Black American cultural product that you know a cultural Black American cultural figure who's admired by numerous people outside of the black American community. And, and I think, you know, rap music and rap commentators, I think should be a little bit more clear in terms of what they mean by the culture. And I think it'll be easier to sort of define like, okay, well, what is, what do we consider uh, good rap music? What is considered bad rap music and who are the greats and who are the peoples we should be holding up? Because Rap music at this point is going almost, it's almost 50 oh years old. God. So it needs to kind of decide, you know, think about it. Cause like at this point, rap music needs to decide like, okay, who are the standard bearers, the greats of rap music? Rock music already has that defined. Beatles, Beatles um, Rolling Stones, all the, yeah, I'm, but they've defined it. They've defined who their cultural leaders are in rock music. Beatles. Every time I talk to someone who's into rock music or indie, it's always Beatles. Studied Beatles, and when it comes to rap music, I don't. I don't think that question is fully resolved. Like who? Who are the real greats? And I think Tupac Shakur. I think is a is a it's a is a major 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 standard bearer in rap music. But also, I think like he has massive. He has a, a crossover appeal in which he's able to transcend rap music. In a similar way that Michael Jackson was able to, um, and, and and I think that's why I compare Tupac to the blues tradition, because there's something very bluesy about his his stories, um, his themes that I, I don't think is that far removed from the greats of the African American uh, blues tradition. Um, and also, I think, you know, uh, whenever I hear people talk about rap music and what makes it good, it's just kind of piggybacking off of what you're saying, Peter. I, I do notice people say, like, okay, who has the best bars? Who has the best flow? Who can rap the most syllables? Who can rap the fastest? Who has the most records? That's not to say that all of that's irrelevant. That's all fine. But I think a lot of that 
emphasis on technicality overlooks what makes yeah. it great art. And so not only is is Tupac a great rapper, he's a great artist. There's something about that's just it's it's pure art because I would I would also venture this I would also say like even when it comes yeah. to technicality, oh, yeah. Tupac I mean, he, still had yeah, that. I'm not he saying, had his own flow. I'm not saying he was a slouch in any of that. I'm saying that I understand other people can make arguments for other yeah. people in any specific category, but nobody was able yeah. to tie it all together with yeah. the emotion and depth of feeling that he did. So, all right. It, I think yeah. maybe let's sign off. I got to go to the bathroom and then let's get back on for okay. real conspiracy hours um, where we talk about who we think killed him. Yeah. Uh, totally. And if you want to hear that, subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash real Sankara hours. Um, where, uh, yeah, we're, I think we, I think overall we want to do more stuff in this realm of like getting into sort of broader historical topics and cultural stuff since we both, and also more music stuff since that's kind of our thing. Um, so stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just wrap up with this one thought and that, something that gets overlooked is uh yeah the importance of feelings and interiority in art and music that um i think should be considered a a an important metric so to speak in rap music and i think i agree with peter and i just want to emphasize that point i think tupac had that in spades and i, I i've i've yet to kind of come across a rapper who is at that level when it comes to the kind of raw emotional depth and interiority that he portrayed um his raps his story his narrative and also the narrative of um the black american uh, condition and with that um we shall sign out and yeah subscribe real sankara uh patreon.com slash real sankara hours five dollars a month you'll get twice as many episodes um and more stuff peace all right and with that we'll sign out Peace. Later.